Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and we have a very fun and exciting Big East Conference schedule breakdown. We did non-conference on Tuesday. We're in the regular conference today. We couldn't be more excited to talk about it. But first, Pat, we have a very exciting guest, our first of our time now Mm. as the co-hosts of the State of the Nova Nation podcast. You've heard of him. You love him. It is John Fanta from Fox College Hoops and the host of the Big East Shootaround. He came on to join us to talk all things Big East. So before Pat and I get into our conference schedule breakdown, we've got about 20 minutes of John Fanta content. You're not going to want to miss it. So we'll get right into that and then make sure to stick around for our in-depth conference breakdown right after this. We are so excited to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend of Big East basketball, John Fanta. John, thank you so much for being here. How excited are you for the start of the college basketball season? Emma, Patrick, (laughs) through the roof, through the roof, like a seven-year-old on Christmas morning. Uh, Cannot wait for college basketball to be back. And really, when you think about this sport, last season, there weren't fans in the building for the most part, and college basketball season previous to that was stopped. So no sport has gotten impacted quite like college hoops has, and I think it's going to be super exciting to see us go into this season, see buildings packed again, see fans back in the stands, and see a lot of experience across the country in the Big East, and particularly on the Villanova side. They know that all too well with the experience Mm -hmm. that they possess we are in for a great year in the sport of college basketball. It's going to be such an interesting year. And with the NIL, there are just so many marquee things happening. And the excitement is palpable with, I was at Big East Media Day, the coaches just being able to talk to people in person and not being on Zoom and having the kids in the back. So the whole thing, we're in an awesome position now. I'll get right into it. And I have some questions about the preseason poll for you. Of the four bottom dwellers in the league right now based on that poll the Creighton Marquette Georgetown DePaul rankings which of those do you expect to be the most surprising well I would say it's Creighton because Greg McDermott's program thrives on consistency now when you have the amount of youth that the Blue Jays possess Mm -hmm. there are question marks around that youth 
But I've heard great things about the four-star freshman Ryan Nemhard, hearing that he is the next Marcus Zagorowski, Maurice Watson type of point guard for the Blue Jays, and he's going to start right from the get-go for Creighton. They have a stretch four in Arthur Kaluma, who should be able to come into this program and contribute. They've got another prospect that's uh, highly touted, Mason Miller. They've had some injuries to guys that were supposed to come in last year, a guy named Rati Andronikashvili, who should be a, a, a stretch guy, a versatile guy uh, for the Blue Jays to use in their backcourt. I think that this Creighton team, as young as they are, but knowing how good of a coach Greg McDermott is in terms of the offensive end of the floor, the Blue Jays might start, might start in a tough place, but I think talent-wise, that if that talent comes around, of the four teams you just listed to me, Emma, Creighton could end up being the most talented team, certainly in the long run, but I think by February they could be a dangerous team because they'll have learned a lot about who they are. Definitely. And I admire your attempt, or no, not even your attempt, your successful pronunciation of Rotti's last name. Impressive there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I love that. I, I love that pick too, because I think you're right. And where Creighton has really thrived on consistency. We know things are different. They lost all their starting five from the Sweet 16 a year ago are all gone. This is different. We know how good McDermott is. They're young. They're bringing in a really strong recruiting class. That last name Nemhart should sound very familiar to many people around college basketball. Of course, with his older brother, Akinzaga. I'm excited there. You talk about youth. That is exactly where I wanted to go with this question. You could take it, you know, older with transfers, but which biggies newcomer this year are you most excited to see? Wow. That's a, that's a great question. So I'll give you a freshman that I'm excited to see, but I will also give you a, a transfer that I'm excited to see. So let's go away from Creighton because uh, I, I broke them down a little bit. I would go guys and take a look at UConn's recruiting class mm -hmm. because I think that this is a, a very interesting recruiting class that is headlined by Jordan Hawkins, yes. a four-star guard from DeMatha Catholic. I expect Jordan Hawkins to come in and have his opportunities to contribute. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that, that could fit right into Dan Hurley's system. Remember with UConn, we know they're going to defend and rebound. They need guys who can shoot the basketball. When you're old, like UConn is, your freshmen, they don't have to do as much as maybe other freshmen. Hawkins might be a guy that surprises people, but it shouldn't surprise you that much. It's just by virtue of he could really come in and, and fit what they're trying to put down. So Jordan Hawkins would be one guy. Amino Muhammad is the biggest mm -hmm. preseason freshman sure. of the year, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. I think the dynamic of having Amino Muhammad, a five-star prospect, and Ryan Mutombo, uh, a center who – carries a familiar name to a lot of Big East fans. I think that that's really fascinating. I think in terms of transfers, you asked me about transfers, mm -hmm. watch out for the name Al Durham at Providence. Durham comes to Providence from Indiana. Indiana goes through the coaching staff change with Archie Miller getting let go, and Al Durham leaves Bloomington, and he finds Ed Cooley. He feels comfortable at Providence. Providence needs a playmaking guard. Al Durham addresses that need. The other team that got a player who addresses that need is Seton Hall with the Syracuse transfer, Kadari Richmond. Mm -hmm. He is motivated. He's a great mover of the basketball. Jim Beheim said some interesting things about Richmond last week to the media saying that, you know, he couldn't cut it for him. Tell you what, Kadari Richmond is fueled, and he is definitely ignited. Ignited to perform and perform at a high level. Richmond for Seton Hall, Al Durham. 
for Providence. Ooh, I, I like those picks a lot. Another another name I'll give you for a transfer is Caden Rice coming in at Georgetown. I, I think he's going to play some pretty significant mi- minutes for Patrick Ewing coming in. Had a really great career at the Citadel. Uh, you know, last year scored over 20 points on uh, in 10 games, season high at 29, as an 89% free throw shooter as well, which I think can be really underrated. Uh, I, I know Georgetown, of course, different coming in, you know, of course, winning the Big East title last year, coming in at number 10 in the preseason poll. But there are a couple pieces there. You talk about Muhammad as well. I, I'm excited to see how they transition. Yeah, Caden Rice over the last four seasons has taken 794 three-pointers. Yeah, he, He's never seen a shot he didn't like. <laughs> I love that. 100%. <laughs> and on the flip side, John, we just talked about the youth, the explosiveness of some of these guards. And you mentioned at the beginning how unique this college basketball season is going to be because of the robust transfer portal and the extra year of eligibility granted which returning fifth year player do you think will have the most impact on play this year well i mean i, I guess it's hard to not say colin gillespie there's right? one bad that we think of yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's hard to not say colin gillespie uh because he is everything to villanova and he's the head of the snake he is their point guard and when you have him back and last season, you had the fourth lowest turnover rate in college basketball. Fourth lowest. The efficiency of the Villanova Wildcats is absolutely outstanding. They do not beat themselves. You have to beat them. And to win by one, you have to win by 10. Colin Gillespie is at the forefront of this. He is an outstanding, outstanding player. And he embodies what Jay Wright puts down. Jay Wright told me a couple weeks ago, guys, you say there's coaches on the floor. But Colin Gillespie really is a coach on the floor. He does everything that they ask him to do. So he's the fifth-year guy that, to me, I think makes a major, major impact. Beyond that, I, I think that it's big that, uh, that Connecticut has Isaiah Whaley yes. and Tyler Polly back for another season. Whaley is the reigning Big East defensive co-player of the year. He's a great defender. He helps set the tone of that front court defensively. He's a high-character guy. So kind of a, a guy that might be getting overlooked, I think, nationally. Isaiah Whaley is a real key piece for UConn. Uh, I, that's a great answer, and I love that what you said about Congress being the poise and the leadership that he brings. Nate Watson was another name I had thought of, too. If he can really embody that, that rebounding presence, that's going to be huge for Providence as well. Yeah, I think Nate Watson is a given. I think Nate Watson mm-hmm. is someone who's a fantastic player. Uh, Nate Watson needs to stay out of foul trouble. Yes, and needs to be a guy that Providence is feeding early and mm. often in games. But there's no question. I mean, Nate Watson just won Providence a scrimmage this past weekend over Purdue. Nate Watson was the reason why Providence won that game. He was fantastic down the stretch. He's a stud. He oh, I didn't know that. Stud. I just spent about 25 minutes soliloquizing about how high I am on Purdue. So that is a very interesting nugget there. <laughs> I think Purdue's going to be one of the best teams in the country. Definitely. Emma, I think you're right. You know, you bring back Zach Eady, Travion Williams mm-hmm. in your front court. You have Jaden Ivey, who could be an NBA player. Matt Painter's one of the best in, in college basketball. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yes. You're talking to two huge Travion Williams fans <laughs> over here. So, <laughs> no. Yes, the truck of college hoops. That that is so true. Where a potential Villanova Purdue matchup in a couple of weeks, if, if things play out. I love how we're kind of going back and forth here with old and new. I'm going to bring you new again right here. And I I think a team outlook and someone we're really looking forward to seeing is you know Shaka Smart making the transition from the Big Twelve coming over to Marquette in the Big East. What's your outlook for Marquette this year? Of course, a little bit of a different year. A lot of transfers out. Um, how how do you think year one looks for for Smart's crew? 
Well, a retooling team, a team mm-hmm. that that frankly only has three returning players and 10 newcomers. So there's so much unknown about this Marquette team. They're the team that carries the most unknowns heading into this season. I think Shaka Smart's going to bring defensive pressure back yep. to the Golden Eagles. They were not a good defensive team yep. under Steve Wojciechowski. That's about to change. They're going to apply more pressure in games. They're going to have a little bit of havoc that Shaka Smart utilized at BCU, which fans love to see that. Daryl Morsell's going to have to stir the drink for this team, the Maryland transfer. And Justin Lewis has to take a leap. I think for Justin Lewis, the key question is, what does he do well offensively? Mm-hmm. He grow his offensive skill set. Uh, because as a freshman last year, he did all the little things, but you got to be able to score the basketball. They've got some athletes they brought in. Kirk West is a, is a good transfer pickup, a guy who's, who's uh, quality, in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. he's a really intriguing piece for them. He's very athletic. You have Cam Jones, a freshman, who I think yep. is going to play a role. Stevie Mitchell will find his way onto the floor from time to time. Can Greg Elliott stay healthy for the Golden Eagles? I think they'll be better defensively, but they're going to have to be by necessity because I don't know how this team is scoring the ball consistently. I, I agree there. I, I'm interested in seeing Maxon's Prosper as well coming over from Clemson. Didn't play too much in the ACC for Clemson last year. I wonder if he sees you know a way to more minutes as, as Smart really tries to shape that rotation. As you said, I'm excited to see what Marquette brings out because it's going to be fresh. It's going to be new. We're going to see a new defensive identity for them. This, this is a big year. Of course, it's year one. You know, it's starting up everything again, but this should be cool to watch. Should be very cool to watch. I, I think it's going to be intriguing to see how Shaka Smart puts his footprint on Marquette basketball. Remember, Shaka, he leaves Texas. He's the Big 12 coach of the year. How many times does a guy win Big 12 coach of the year and then he's out of the school? And there's a lot of doubters around Shaka Smart now. Marquette benefits because they're getting a Shaka Smart who's going to be fiery and yep. wants to show that he can coach. Oh, I love that. That's a great point. And it's a great story, the homecoming for smart, that whole thing. So let's switch to a specific Villanova focus as we end out here. I know that you have been traveling to all the schools. I know that you made your way down to the main line, saw the Finneran Pavilion. What were some of your biggest takeaways, John, from speaking to Jay Wright and Colin Gillespie and just the general outlook on Villanova season? Well, that Justin Moore is ready to be a star. Mm. Music to my ears. A lot of people. What's that? Music to my ears. I've been telling him since he came in as a freshman. I'm a huge Moore fan. Yeah, a lot of people think about Villanova and they say, well, when they've won national championships, they've had NBA players on their team. Hmm. Well, Justin Moore is going to be an NBA player, yeah. at, in my mind, at some point. I think it's taken some time. I think Jeremiah Robinson was the centerpiece of the offense yep. last year. They played through him. You can't play through everybody. Now they can play through Justin Moore. He should be a big-time asset for the Wildcats. For Villanova, they have the point guard in Gillespie. They have versatility with Moore and Samuels. My two biggest questions, will they get enough depth? Jay Wright told me depth is more important this year than other years because he doesn't feel like he has a ton of NBA talent, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't. But he said, we need guys like a Trey Patterson to take a lead. Agreed. We need a, We even need an Angelo Brizzy to help us out a little bit in this freshman season. The other question I have is, can Villanova overcome being what seems like extra thin at the center position? Yep. You know, this is a team that typically they don't, they're not oriented around the center, but they're so thin there that Eric Dixon's now being relied upon to be their, their five man. That's a lot to put on him. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nana and Joku, you know, I thought if Demir Cosby Roundtree were at least back, he could provide a veteran presence. 
but I wonder about Villanova. Like, I think you're going to see five out even more so than other times. Completely agree. saying something because they are an outstanding perimeter team, but they don't have anything from the five-man spot. And you keep in mind, they're two national title teams, Daniel Sheffu in 2016, Omari Spellman in 2018. It's not like they had nothing in the front court. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting balance that Wright's going to have to make because you talk about having to rely on a freshman like Brizzy, but then also having to rely, rely on the second year Dixon. You wonder how much stock and trust Wright is going to put in. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Really interesting dynamic. One that I'm intrigued by, but I think that with Gillespie back, you're always going to have a shot. How the Wildcats handle their early season non-conference gauntlet is also something that I'm monitoring. Mm, yes. Oh, it's quite the gauntlet. I think you nailed it with Trey Patterson, someone I'm going to be looking at to see, you know, how much playing time does he get right as talked about. He does not consider him a freshman since he enrolled early and got to spend that second half of the season. Uh, And I do think they're going to play small. I think you're going to see a lot of Samuels and Slater as the forwards uh, to try and play more out around the perimeter. Um, Makes sense. And and I think that that's the fair point, uh, Patrick. And I think you're going to have to see Jay Wright find that right eight man rotation. Who's in that? Mm -hmm. Caleb Daniels is a guy. We didn't talk enough about Caleb Daniels. Like he, he came into his own more and more. He's a great catch and shoot guy. Look for him to, to make strides. One thing about Jay Wright is he develops players. His yes. staff develops players. So Caleb Daniels with another year under the belt here with a year under the belt coming over from Tulane, that took time to adjust to. Now he's familiar with the system. He knows what he's supposed to do. The cats are going to be a okay guys. I think that there's, there's certain things that determine if they're a national championship caliber team. But man, when you got point guard play in this sport, you're always going to have a shot, and they have the best point guard in America. Yeah, we have high expectations. Yeah, yes, <laughs> we do. Absolutely. I have one more question for you before we close out here, John. It's a little different. What's the confidence level in the Browns right now after that uh, the last <laughs> weekend? Yeah, my confidence level is teetering <laughs> because the team uh, is not putting up points, and this is supposed to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. I don't think this is the same old Browns. I completely agree. I think that this is a team that just is having to taste some reality in a loaded AFC. The Mm -hmm. Chiefs are having to taste it right now. Um, You know, look, the top of the crop in the AFC is the Titans and and Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, the the Bengals. And the Bengals, you know, until they lose to the Jets. Mike White. It's a time of change in the AFC. It's also a time of, hey, like some of the heavyweights in this conference, and the Browns aren't one because you can't just do it one year and then be mm-hmm. one. But I think I think that the AFC is showing its depth. Uh, and I think that for the Cleveland Browns, it's just now they're the hunted. They are the hunted. So how do you handle being the hunted? That's the biggest thing. I think, I think they're struggling with that. We'll see if they can adjust to it. No, I love that. I had to ask because I was very high on the Browns coming in. Of course, know about I'm your Browns connection. Yeah, as am I. I think they can bounce back. Played. You know, they got to put a run together, though. It's got to start up this week in Cincinnati. They, it's a must-win game for the Browns. Hey, there's 17 games this year. There's an extra opportunity to get back into things. <laughs> they yeah. do better with the, the odds stacked against them, too. I think Baker's going to come through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point, Emma. Baker <laughs> Mayfield, anytime he gets totally silenced, he seems to answer from that. You know, Cleveland is going to be okay. This is an organization that had a historic season last year. They have not just fallen back into being a, a nightmare. The Odell Beckham stuff has to get sorted out. Yep. Um, it's a dramatic situation. But the Browns excused him. And I, I, you know, like everybody's got their takes. The fact is they wouldn't let him into their facility. They shouldn't. He's being a child. Mm-hmm. You have to figure mm-hmm. out a way to, to, to move on from that. Um, I often – 
kind of laugh when people are like, oh, these players must be so dis- distracted uh, by it. These players have a ton of stuff going on in their life. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're not distracted. They're, they're distracted. They could be distracted by a million things. They're professional football players. The Browns have to be adults. Odell Beckham has not been a winning player on this team. People should not be fretting over the fact that they didn't get much from him at the deadline. They probably could have gotten something. They didn't. It is what it is. He mm-hmm. hasn't been a part of winning for this football team. He's never going to be. He's not a winning player. So the Browns have to move off of him, and they have to move on. I agree. <laughs> well said. Yeah, it winning is. cures everything. Once they figure that so, out, once they start winning, things are going to look a little brighter there too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us on State of the Nova Nation from View Hoops. Please tell everyone where they can uh, watch you, read your stuff all throughout the year. Patrick, Emma, you can catch me at J-O-H-N underscore Fanta at John underscore Fanta. I'll be on FS1, FS2 throughout mm-hmm. the season and hosting Big East Shootaround on the Big East Conference YouTube and Twitter pages every single week. My direct messages are open, always open to joining you guys. Thanks very much, Patrick and Emma, for having me. Let's have a great year. Thank awesome. you. Thanks Can't so much wait. for coming on. Can't wait to watch you on Biggie Shoot Around and everything else. Thanks, Thanks John. Awesome. Well, could that have been any better, Pat? <laughs> uh, it was so much fun. A huge thank you to John for coming on and working with the schedules and everything so we could talk to him. I mean, it was so much fun. It's John Fanta. He is he's right. such a, you know, a great voice for the conference and gives such awesome insights. Uh, that was a ton of fun to do, and we hope everyone liked it out there. He's such a professional. It was so cool watching him at Big East Media Day. He just sits in his chair and gets the revolving guests of – Big name coaches, big name players. It's is so cool. That's because he's, he's the best. Exactly. <laughs> Such a presence. I called him the man, the myth, and the legend. It's not even a joke anymore. No, it's he not. really is the face of Big East basketball. Yeah. So a really cool opportunity to get to talk some Big East tubes with them. And again, we can't thank him enough for taking some time to talk to us. Yeah, and it was a really good cup of coffee, really, because we focused on some specific teams. We've got some specific Villanova content, but similar to what we did on Tuesday. Pat and I are going to run you through every single Big East opponent that Villanova will face this season. We've got some info on who's back, who's out, some fun nuggets from some fun stats like normal. We're just going to run through it and we're not going to we're not going to go dates and times like we did for non-conference because Mm -hmm. just of the, the pure volume of games that Villanova has on the schedule. But we've got everybody down. And Pat, you can pick where we want to start. Let's get right into it. Awesome. Let's start with one of the teams that we talked about with John and and some of the teams that we talked about. We'll probably talk about uh, a little less here just to not go complete overkill with them. But let's go to Creighton just because I think Creighton, you know, of course, one of the top teams in the Big East from a year ago, finishing at 22 and nine. Uh, But a lot of change, as we talked about with John, that whole starting five from the Sweet 16 have moved on and Marcus Zagorowski, Damian Jefferson, Mitch Ballack, Denzel Mahoney, and Christian Bishop. Bishop, the only one still in, in college basketball transferring to Texas. Uh, it's been Creighton. We know how good they've been the last couple of years. I mean, from 2017 on, their records have been 25 and 10, 21 and 12, 20 and 15, 24 and 7, 22 and 9. But this is different, as we were talking about with John. There, there's a lot of change here with Creighton. Of course, McDermott is still there at the helm, one of the better coaches in the country, but Ryan Kalkbrenner is your top leading scorer coming back. Uh, You you know, you might recognize a few other names and like Alex O'Connell, Sheriff Mitchell and things of that. Otherwise it's a lot of new faces. Uh, It's an intriguing team. I, I think the, you know, the ceiling is definitely much lower for Creighton. This is not going to be the Creighton that we've been used to over the last couple of years, but you know, as John was saying, there certainly is some potential in the youth. 
Yeah. And obviously youth is the first thing you are going to talk about when you talk about Creighton, but honestly for Villanova fans, it's kind of nice to see that starting five go because they had been, <laughs> they had been a thorn in Villanova side for the past three or four years. It felt like Zagorowski was so lethal. Mitch Ballack was shooting the lights out. You and I called mm-hmm. a few of those games at yes, school and it just, do you remember some of those Mitch Ballack shots? I mean, Ballack absolutely doesn't miss, insane. especially from the exactly. corner. Um, so yes, Villanova will be happy to see the back of him. But uh, yeah, th- those baseline passes exactly. into Ballack in the corner. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you there. Ryan Kalkbrenner, the leading scorer, but I don't think he he averaged more than four or five points. So they're really starting from scratch here. They lost eighty percent of their scoring, mm-hmm. and last year was the year for them capital the yep, it was the year and they made it all the way to the sweet 16 they lost to gonzaga it's going to be starting from the bottom here john obviously mentioned him as the team that is ranked in the bottom four that could make the most noise and i think a big reason for that is because there are so many question marks and that's what happens when you have youth you just don't know what to expect i agree kaluma nemhard trey alexander they could be high impact players but it's really hard to build team chemistry and to get things going in your first year. Yeah, no, you, you're so right on everything you've hit on. Just to, to focus on kind of the potential of them, though, they still brought in the number seven recruiting class right. in the country. So there is a lot of talent coming in. It's just going to be very young. So as John was saying, you, you might not be shocked to see them struggle towards the beginning of the year as they figure out the speed of the college game and all the adjustments that they need to make. But there should be some talent here. As he said, Arthur Kaluma, 6'8 forward, is one to look at. And then, as we said, Ryan Nemhard as well. Of course, brother of Andrew Nemhard, the former standout Florida Gator, now Gonzaga Bulldog uh, coming in. So we know about the family heritage there. Um, Creighton, it's a team to watch. But as we said, ceiling is certainly lowered this year. Yeah, four four-star pro- prospects, four top 75 guys. Yeah, it's legit. It's legit. It's legit, and it's also exciting to see this type of team in the Big East because we haven't seen such a recruit-oriented team in a long time. It's mm-hmm. usually the experience winning out. All the guys that we mentioned for Creighton had been three, four-year guys. So it'll be fun to see this youth and this energy and the athletic guard and big play that we'll see from Creighton. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, let's go to Xavier next. That's Villanova's second opponent. They are ranked third overall in the preseason poll. A lot of people have them pegged as the second best team behind Villanova. Mm -hmm. I'm high on Xavier, and it's mostly because of two guys, Zach Fremantle and Paul Scruggs, who were both named to the preseason All-Big East first team. I mean, what more can you say? Fremantle was the leading scorer and rebounder last year. You've got Paul Paul Scruggs, excuse me, had just under six assists on the season. They've got a really nice bench rotation that I think definitely needs to step up in order for Xavier to really make an impact. And then you've got the transfers, Jack Nungy from Iowa, Jerome Hunter from Indiana. It's going to be Fremantle and Scruggs leading this team, but I'm really curious to see what some of these new faces can bring to Travis Steele's program. Curious is right, because think about it with Xavier. They started off the season 11 and two last year. They were on fire and then ended up at 13 and eight. They really struggled after they had a little bit of a COVID pause and things really never got back on track for them. Uh, Ken Palm is super high on them. They have them at number 26 in the country. So they expect Xavier to have a really bounce back year. You know, you nailed it with Fremantle. 
We don't know too much about his health right now. I know it's kind of up in the air, but when he yes. plays, he's one of the best players in the Big East. You know, just a year ago, he averaged 16 points and nine rebounds, which of course is so, so, so impressive. Uh, two players I look at for Xavier that I'd like to see have more of a role. Adam Kunkel is one that I really mm. want to keep an eye on. He was the Belmont transfer from a year ago. I believe shot 39% at Belmont, came to Xavier from three, came to Xavier and it the, his percentage dropped it in the 20s. So I, I'm very interested to see if Kunkel can kind of get that three-point stroke back. Because, of course, we, when you think of Belmont, you think of that three-point shooting and the high-tempo offense. Kunkel kind of brings them that outside presence when he's on. And he really wasn't on very often last year. I know he did hit, a, I believe it was a buzzer beater at some point during the season, which was exciting. And Kai yeah, Kai, I do remember that. Yes, yeah. and, and Kai Kai Tandy, another one, very high on, young player, young guard. I uh, see his development as well. I think he can make an impact as his role continues to grow here. Xavier is going to be very, very good. This is not a team to count out. I expect them to be back in the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, they're absolutely someone to watch. Yeah, Fremantle at the East Media Day had a, a pretty substantial walking boot yep. on his foot, and he was on crutches. So it seems like they're keeping that relatively close to the vest. I'm really not sure what the, the timetable is for him. Hopefully it's obviously on the shorter side. But I was actually able to get a really interesting quote from head coach Travis Steele at the East Media Day. And I want to take a listen to that because when we come back from it, we can talk about the versatility on this team of three, four, five being pretty set down now or more fluid as we get closer? Yeah, I think I think they're fluid. You know, listen, like, I think the more versatility you have, the better. <clears throat> like, I like Freeman. I think he's the most versatile front court guy in our league. He can shoot it. He can drive it. He can post it. He can play the five. play the four. You get Jerome Hunter. play the three. play the four. You know, Colby Jones can play any position. Um, Jack Nunji can play the five and the four for us. You know, I think the – think that's important you know what I mean like to have guys who play multiple positions so when I asked Travis Steele about the fluidity of the positions and if he game plans certain games where they're going to play small and when they're going to play big I was honestly thinking about Villanova and something mm-hmm. we talked about with John and how how much reliance they're going to have to put on the big guys which which might make them transition to a small ball it's interesting because Xavier is bringing back basically everybody for all of these teams. I had out categories, back categories and in categories. And Mm -hmm. for Xavier's out, I left it blank because really nobody notable left. So it's all about bringing all these guys back, making sure they mesh and then going out and making an impact when you don't have all of those abnormalities of the COVID, which they were highly impacted by. So I Travis Steele was absolutely exceptional to talk to such an excellent guy. And I think he's got a lot of work with here. He needs a tournament appearance. Uh, this mm-hmm. was what I was going to ask you. Do you believe that Travis Steele is on the hot seat? Uh, I do not. I, I like what they're building at Xavier. And I think you've been able to see some, some progression over the years. Uh, listen, to your point, they do need to get back to the tournament. Uh, I say he's not because I fully expect Xavier to get back to the NCAA tournament point. this yeah. March. Now, if they miss with this very talented team, then maybe we talk about it, but uh, otherwise, I, I'm pretty. I would think that Xavier is pretty happy with what Steele's been able to to really lay the foundation of. It's not easy to come in and, and you know take, especially for a guy like Chris Mack, you know, to yeah. come in <laughs> and, and take over and try to retool the program uh, in your own image. So I, I, I'm still pretty, pretty impressed with what I've seen from Steele and pretty high on what I think his potential is as a coach. I feel the same way, and it, and the reason why I don't think he is on the hot seat is because the expectation is that the team will make the tournament anyway. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's fine that this is the the year because this is what all the rebuilding was for. 
to bring all these players back to finally have the experience and for all of these guys to solidify what their role means and finally turn it into wins, which they had at the beginning of the season, but they weren't able to keep that going for the entirety of the year. Nope. You're right. And you talk about depth and and being able to play different guys. Colby Jones, another one I definitely want you to look at, uh, who was an all big East freshman uh, from a year ago, expect his role to continue to grow. As I said, this this Xavier team is legit. Um, So I, I fully expect them to get back to the tournament. Yeah, and they have a really nice blend of front court and back court. They're going to be a tough team to match up against. Though this mm-hmm. is definitely a game that you circle for Villanova. This is going to be a really high caliber opponent. I would say so. Definitely. All right. Should we just keep going in order here? I have the list. Yeah, go for it. Call <laughs> As out. opposed to just bouncing around. So Seton Hall is next. This is a really interesting one. I'll let you start. It's obviously the loss of the co-Big East player mm. of the year, Sandro Mamu Kilash Vili. Yeah, it's uh, th- this is an interesting one for Seton Hall because Seton Hall, you know, the mainstay is still there and Kevin Willard and, and everything he's been able to build. Of course, a down year for the Hall last year at 14 and 13. When you think of Seton Hall and you think of them over the last couple of years, they've really been a team that I'll say has relied on having that guy for the past couple of years. Think about it with Miles Powell before it and Sandra Mamu, Mamu Kalashvili. And that's really helped propel them to wins is being able to rely on these stars to, to be able to get them scoring. That buck now falls to Jarrett Roden. And the question is, can Jared Roden, you know, really shoulder that? Now, he was great from a year ago. He's a preseason first team, all Big Easter, at 15 points per game, seven boards from last year. I'm not sure how much support he has on this team. Now, you'll definitely recognize some guys coming back, a Miles Kale and Ike Obiagu on the inside. I'm, I'm lukewarm on Seton Hall this year really yeah i think i think Roden can be very good for them i'm not sure how much other talents around there john did mention the syracuse transfer he did certainly did yeah it seems like seton hall was the hardest team for coaches to peg in the preseason poll so Mm -hmm. they ended up at five but it seemed like the general consensus was they could probably finish as low as seven or eight and then maybe they even push into the three four spot there's definitely a lot of questions yeah to go deeper on Roden, i did this career breakdown because I do agree with you that he's going to be the guy. And I actually Mm -hmm. hadn't thought about it that way, that the transition from Powell to Mamu to now Roden in 2018, he averaged just 13 minutes, three and a half points, only shot 33% from the field. Now we switched to 2019. He averaged 26 minutes per game, nine points shot 44% from the field, which is 11% better from the year prior. And then you mentioned his stats from last season, 34 and a half minutes per game. Talk about the durability there, 15.7 rebounds. He also shot 83% from the free throw line. So to see his progression year to year has been huge for Kevin, Kevin Willard, excuse me. You mentioned it. It's the four year players. This is the progression of the program for Seton Hall. Mm -hmm. This will probably be a down year for them, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Jared Roden, maybe Miles Kale works to up to a first team selection at very least a second team selection. Maybe Ike Obiago is an absolute menace in the paint. There's a lot of question marks about this team. A lot of question marks about this team. I do like Obiago a lot, and I think he's got yeah. a chance to, to really be a beast this year. There are some great Big East big men, which we will get into as we move oh, yeah. further through the teams. Uh, something that I, I do want to spotlight that that is a big loss. Like they did lose Shavar Reynolds, who remember had the awesome story of being a walk on to basically becoming Seton Hall's starting point guard. And so it is going to be a new ball handler for them this year. 
I look at this as uh, there's absolutely talent there on the Seton Hall team. You know, of course, they've got the returning guys, as you say, and Obiagu and Akale to go with Roden. I just I think they take a little bit of a step back this year. I actually think they finish further down than five. Interesting. Yeah, they had two other notable transfers, Alexis Yetna from USF and Jameer Harris for American to go on with Kadari Richard, uh, Kadari Richmond. And one other thing that I wanted to spotlight, they have a tough non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. They've got Michigan, Ohio State, and Texas all ranked within the top 25 in the preseason, at least. It's a vote of confidence from Willard. I like that, but it also might start Seton Hall's season off on the wrong foot. And then you transition into a really competitive Big East schedule. Yeah, they're not going to be favored in any of those games. They have to play Rutgers as well. Remember, Rutgers was much, mm. much better a year ago. And then my favorite matchup, they play Rick Patino and Iona in the middle mm. of December, which, oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> You've got Patino's circle. You've got all those dates. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I think I'm a little bit higher on Seton Hall than you are. Mm-hmm. I can really see Jared Roden being a phenomenal player, but I think the five, six, status is right about where they're finish. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Cool. All right. We'll talk about a bottom dweller. DePaul is oh, wow. up next. DePaul, no Take punches us away. right there. <laughs> oh, DePaul. DePaul is, <laughs> we know they're going through change. Of course, Dave Lieto gone, uh, which was the right decision as well. Toby, St- Tony Stubblefield coming in or to- <laughs> I'll get the name right at some point. Tony Stubblefeld coming in. Uh, just looking at Lieto's reign or reign number two, really for DePaul, their best conference record was seven and 11. And the worst was at two, two and 16. Yeah. It's been a really rough stretch for DePaul basketball. Unfortunately, I don't see too much of that changing. Uh, even with Stubblefeld coming in uh, in the last 14 years, 12 of them have been sub 100 rankings on Ken Palm at the end of the year, uh, looking at Stubblefeld. Cause I do think it's interesting. You know, he has held assistant coaching jobs at Nebraska, Omaha, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Arlington, New Mexico state, Cincinnati, and of course, Oregon, where he just came from. Uh, the issue for DePaul is that, you know, they, of course they've struggled to win games as is, and they lost just a lot of talent uh, for their top five scores, three of their top four rebounders, all gone. Uh, Charlie Moore is gone. He did not graduate. He actually transferred for his final year. Uh, Romeo Weems left for the NBA. It's going to be a really rough year in Chicago. Yeah. And they've had talented pay- players in the past. Charlie Moore, Paul, Paul Reed. Reed. Exactly. Yeah, we mentioned yeah. him. I don't think you can have Max high expectations. Roos. Yeah. Oh my God. Max Roos. That's Can't right. forget he's, him. He's making his impact on the NBA. He I is. see those Struis headlines every once in a while. You just can't have high expectations for year one with a coach in this program. And no. I think Stubblefeld's the guy. I really do. He brings all of that coaching experience. It was definitely time to transition away from Lieto. Yes. They're just going to struggle offensively and defensively. They're going to struggle to put points up on the board and they're going to struggle trying to stop explosive offenses and a lot of teams yeah. in the big east have explosive offenses yeah you're right i mean on the positive side for them javon freeman liberty's back and he was mm-hmm. a very nice player for them a year ago averaged over 14 points a game so he's going to be really the guy as the the top scorer and nick Ungenda will also come back as a big man uh, to really provide some depth in the front court other than that there's not a lot of proven guys uh it, it's i mean we say transition years for a lot of team i just expect this to be a rough year for DePaul. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like they've been in transition period for a while, so it gets a little a little blue when you talk about DePaul. Leo Their women's program back. is phenomenal. Yeah. Yes, it and is. And 
to give one one bright spot for a team that we definitely didn't high, have high expectations for. They started 12 and one in the 2019, 2020 season. <laughs> That's my favorite part of last year. <laughs> so maybe they catch lightning in a bottle, right? You never know. I uh, Sure. If that's the way hey, you want to approach it. Pat, three players voted to pull as their Big East title winner, right? So that's, that's a fact. And it wasn't last year's 2020 where they started off big. Yeah, um, two years ago. Yes, but uh, it's, uh, you, as you said, listen, three players in the athletic pool said DePaul is going to win the, the conference. So watch out. Exactly. Watch out. <laughs> and you couldn't vote for yourself, right? No. It wasn't the DePaul players. Uh, if no. it was, honestly, I respect that even more that they have the conference. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Vote on yourself, kids. Except Love bet that. on yourself. Yeah. All right. So that's the poll. They have they have been ranked 11th in the preseason poll. Really, no surprises there. Let's shift to Butler. Okay. I am I'm really excited to talk about Butler. This interesting out, team. This out bullet is also blank, and yep. the back bullet is, is very, very yes <laughs> robust. Some names I'll mention now: Aaron Thompson, Chuck Harris, Bryce Enzi, Bryce Golden, Jair Bolden. Bo Hodges, who is unfortunately still injured, mm-hmm. and Miles Tate. They're also bringing in two freshmen, Jaden Taylor and Pierce Thomas. They're similar to Xavier, as in we're betting that this team's going to take the jump. They're mm-hmm. bringing all of their guys back. They had a lot of COVID issues last year. This is the first year of continuity in the last two seasons. Can we see Butler take the jump and try and become a bubble, if not solidify themselves as a tournament team? Yeah, and you're right. And what's so interesting with Butler is think about it. So again, a, a poor year for them last year at 10 and 15. The year before that, they were 22 and nine. Of course, the, the huge factor there is that Kamar Baldwin was a Butler mm-hmm. Bulldog at the time, but they bring back pretty much everyone key as you just went through. Aaron Thompson, Bryce Enzi, Christian David, Jaira Bolden. You know, it's it's a lot of experience. I think Laval Jordan's a very good coach there. So I expect Butler to be better. And a lot of that, I think, will come down to Chuck Harris, who I'm very excited about to see how he progresses with another year under his belt. You know, shot 40% from three last year, 84% foul shooter. What they really need to help them is scoring is usually the problem with Butler. Like Aaron Thompson's mm-hmm. never going to score you many points. He's a phenomenal defender and a good ball handler, but he just doesn't score much. They need some more consistency from Jair Bolden. I don't know if it's going to come from Jair Bolden because we've seen over the length of his career, he is very streaky. Um, But if he can become a little more consistent and give them another option, I think Butler can, can make noises here. I, I like this as a progression year for Butler. I do think they improve and I think they finish towards the top of the big East. Okay. I think they're a little bit overrated and I know overrated might be a buzzword because it's not like they're getting national recognition it's just tough when you're bringing everybody back, but Chuck Harris was your top scorer. You bring back 10 of your top 11 scorers, but none of those guys were really scoring that many points. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right? true. That, that's the conundrum there. I do expect them to take a jump. I definitely expect them to be better than last year. They've got two big non-conference games, Houston and Purdue, and they only played three non-conference games all year last year. So I think that will be big for them getting back into that. Um, transition into the year and then as they transition into big east play i I also agree with you i think lavar jordan's the guy we're just going to need more offense because aaron thompson is amazing and he dealt with injuries last year too he did he is a phenomenal defensive presence he's also great dishing out the ball who's going to score who besides chuck harris is going to step up and score uh nailed it it is it is all about who is going to put the ball through the basket for butler that that is the question if they're able to find it this could be a good basketball team and when i say when i say top part of the big east i mean a top half finish i do not mean they're competing with villanova or connecticut 
but I do believe that they've got a chance to get into that top half of the conference. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come down to it. And honestly, health too. It seems like mm-hmm. all of the guys we've mentioned have spent so much of their playing career on the bench because of injuries. Yes. So can they stay healthy and can, can they turn this offense into a real presence? Those gotta, are the two questions. Yeah. For gotta Butler. improve the three point shooting. Cause it has yeah. not been good enough recently. And if they can get it back to a respectable number, you could, you can see some games start to fall their way. Yep. And Pat, the big East is a three point shooting league. Oh, yes, so it you is. gotta be able to shoot. <laughs> you gotta be able to shoot. All right. Marquette is next. We focused a lot on, on Marquette and the Shaka smart era yep. with John Fanta, but just for the sake of being fun, I'm going to name all the players who are no longer on the Marquette <laughs> roster. You're going to go through the whole roster. <laughs> I'm going to go through the whole <laughs> roster. Yeah. On the flip side here, the out is very long. The back is very short. Yes. Dawson Garcia went to UNC. We talked about him Theo on Tuesday. John. Theo John went to Duke. We are not sad to see him go, actually. I I can't believe Theo John's not back for his 14th year with Marquette. I know. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> right. And by the way, Duke, really? Theo John is a Duke yep. player, but we could we, that's for another day. <laughs> exactly. DJ Carton turned pro. Kobe McEwen went to Weber State, and Jamal Kane went to Oakland. Greg Elliott and Justin Lewis are back. Those are the two guys that this team now turns, uh, excuse me, builds around. And then if I listed all the transfers and the freshmen, we would be mm-hmm. talking for about 20 hours. Pretty much. But Daryl Morsell, the reigning Big Ten defensive player of the year from Maryland, and Kura from Oklahoma are the two highlights there. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. The <laughs> Player-wise, I don't think there's a ton for us to go off of mm-hmm. for, for how Marquette's going to be just because it is so different. This is a completely new roster coming in. I think what you look at, you really do look at the coach here. And you look at Shaka Smart and you say, all right, I expect him to implement, you know, a, a much better defensive ball club than we've seen under Wojo, where their ceiling was 45th best in the country in defensive efficiency. Their floor was 182nd, which is just absolutely unacceptable. Under Smart, his um, ceiling was 12 at Texas and his floor was 40. So I, of course, little different, little different, little different. Going to take some time as well to be able to implement that with recruiting classes and such. but. I expect a much different style of play here, which I think should excite Marquette fans that it's something different. Other thing for Marquette to look at is will this team hold up over the long haul? Because you think about over the last couple of years, this is Marquette has been the team that has started really strong has come out the gates firing and completely collapses towards the end of the year. And I'm pretty sure Marquette fans are pretty sick of that. (laughs) I mean, anonymous Eagle wrote, I remember sending it to you. One of the best articles like I could, you could possibly write on why the Wojo era should come to an end. Of course it did. Um, There's a lot of things that they're going to look to change this year. As you said, you know, returning wise, I look to Greg Elliott to see, can he grow his role? Only six points a game last year did shoot, you know, solidly from three, but in limited attempts, it's a strong recruiting class at 19th in the country. Stevie Mitchell's kind of the top guy as a top 100 point guard. Uh, John mentioned Cam Jones, another one to look at. Lots and lots of change here for Marquette. Um, but I, it's changed for the good. They, they needed this. I'm excited to see what Shaka Smart can bring to them. I just don't know how much you can really go off of going into the season here. <laughs> exactly. And there are a few of those culprits that we're going to talk about in the yes. Big East this season. I am not a person who loves change, but I think (laughs) even for me, this is what Marquette needed. And a lot of that implosion that you mentioned at the end of the season came because there was such a reliance on one player. And that one player was Marcus Howard. And it wasn't that hard as an opponent to game plan to shut him down, which is exactly what happened. Then you had that Murray State upset. And then John Morant goes on to become one of the best players in the NBA. It's a very simple story, right? And the change here is that 
opponents are going to have an extremely hard time game planning against Marquette this year because they're not going to know anybody on the <laughs> roster. It's funny to me. I, I really am excited to see Marquette because who knows who's going to step up every single name that you bring up. I wouldn't be surprised if they become the guy you've obviously got Elliot. You've obviously mm-hmm. got Lewis. Yep. Otherwise, how much offense are we going to see from Daryl more? So we know how good he can be on defense. Marquette's going to need him to step up. Same with Kuef. It's just, I think the story should be around Shaka Smart for a very good reason, yes. obviously, but this youth is going to be really interesting to watch. I think there could be some deviance from Marquette's ending rank on the poll as opposed to their preseason. I, I agree too. This is a team that's got a lot of room to grow, um, as, yeah. especially as they become more and more familiar with Smart's system throughout the season. This is a building block year. You know, it's not a year that you expect them to finish towards the top of the conference. But, uh, you know, if you see some positives here, you see a team look better towards the end of the season, you see a better defensive unit. I think Marquette fans can come away with this and be a little happier. Definitely. And I can't believe you didn't say this. I thought for sure you were going to say this Uh stat. Shaka Smart, he spent six years at Texas. He was at VCU before that. The Havoc defense, that's what he's Mm -hmm. known for. Smart's defense has been ranked in Ken Palm's top 40 every single year since 2012. So talking about a tradition trying to be upheld, they're currently ranked as the 67th best defense, according to Ken Palm. They have a long ways to go, but man, that is a, that is a streak that Shaka Smart is going to desperately try and continue because that's incredible. Hey, I give you the the short version of that stat with his Texas rankings. I just didn't count VCU. (laughs) No. And and for everyone listening, you're going to find out that Ken Palm is basically our college basketball Bible and you will hear us refer to it many times through basically all of our shows. Um, but yeah, great, great tool for everyone. I also read a really awesome article. It might've been anonymous, anonymous email. I can't remember anonymous Eagle. Sorry, but it was about how Shaka smart has already done such a good job ingratiating himself into his program. And one mm-hmm. of the players told a specific story of how he made the, it was a scrimmage and he made the losing team do bear crawls across the floor uh, and they weren't, that. Yeah, they weren't doing it as well as he wanted them to. So he got on the ground and lapped them as they were doing it. And that is so cool. And we didn't see that with Steve Wojciechowski. That's why there needed to be change. Bottom line, Shaka Smart is bringing passion back to Marquette and back to this basketball program that is just so desperate for the golden days that they had back in the 70s. Yeah, and we'll see if he can start to turn them around. Yeah, totally. All right, take us to Georgetown here. Georgetown, oh, Georgetown. I think Georgetown is really interesting, actually. So as we think about them, you know, of course, your Big East tournament champions from a year ago, they certainly did lose some key guys. Uh, Bile, Javon Blair, Jamarco Pickett all went pro. Uh, Kudus Wahab, which I think is the big one that we all think of, still shocks me to this day that this happened, but he did transfer out to Maryland because it just felt like there would be such a perfect fit there with Patrick Ewing. Um, This is a different, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a different Georgetown team. Of course, what you look at when you first think of excitement here is Aminu Muhammad, the five-star wing coming in, averaged 23 points per game and 10 boards his last year in high school. Fun fact about him to you, he was named Missouri basketball, Gatorade basketball player of the year twice. So that this is a true stud, you know, coming in there. And then the other player I really, you know, we talked about it with John a little bit, but I do want to go back to him is Caden Rice, who's a transfer coming over from the Citadel. Averaged 17.6 points a game for them. Uh, you know, as I said, 89% free throw shooter, 35% shooter from deep. Uh, he's going to be able to come in and make an instant impact for them, give them a little bit of shooting and, and a little more scoring. Uh, 
you know, Georgetown, I know they're picked to finish 10th. I think there's a little more potential for them to be able to move up those rankings. Yeah, I was also surprised with the low ranking. It started from the bottom. Now we're here times (laughs) two. And that's just what it's the loop that Patrick Ewing says time in and time out. They have the same mindset as they did last year. They're trying to go on a magical run, but they have high expectations. I am also still reeling from the Kudus Wahab transfer. Can't believe it. Imagine imagine how much higher this team would be if they had Wahab on the, on the roster. Yep. Wahab, Matumbo, uh, Amina Muhammad, and then their guards, Dante Harris, Donald Carey. You're going to see a lot more of Timothy Ego Hefe this year yes. playing that five in Wahab's wake. Yeah, they lose their top four scores. They lose a little bit of that magic because they did it. But that being said, we're going to see some young electric players on Georgetown. And you can definitely schedule, uh, excuse me, section a lot of these Big East teams into the young ones, the question mark teams, it feels like Georgetown is always the young team, right? (laughs) Ever since James Akinjo left, so many players have been in flux. There's only two seniors on the roster again this year. So they're so young. Patrick Ewing is, feels like it's finally starting to get into this coaching groove. And it came last year because they won the big East tournament. They earned the, the, yeah, the big East tournament. They earned the 12 seed in the NCAA tournament. And they were a huge upset pick against Colorado. I believe I picked Georgetown in my bracket. I did not. I uh, <laughs> confidence in Colorado. I yeah, Georgetown. It was a magical run, but uh did not did not believe in them past that. But of course the story of them winning that tournament, the biggest tournament was was you know great for their program and, and great for trying to restore some relevance to to a once great program. Yeah. And they've had a, a tough time with players and off the court stuff. So for yes. for that to happen to them was great. I agree with you. If I had asked myself the question that I asked John about which four teams are going to mix things up, Georgetown's my pick there. And it's mostly because of Dante Harris and Donald Carey. Those are going to be really high scoring, high quality players in the Big East. I think I might go with Georgetown too out of that bottom yeah. four now that I think about it. I, I would lead Creighton, I think, is a, is a good pick, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of believe in Georgetown a little bit. And thank you for mentioning Dante Harris as well. How can I not yep. mention Dante Harris, your Big East tournament MVP? as a freshman. So again, as, as you said, looking to see him grow this year, as you said, Georgetown's got some players. So uh, watch for development here. Yes. It feels like they're semi starting over again, bringing in some new guys, mm-hmm. but there's, this is also a lot more talented starting over again than I think we've seen Georgetown have the past couple of years. That is an excellent way to put it. Muhammad has been their highest ranked prospect. I, I, was he the highest ranked I, prospect I Georgetown's be- ever had? Uh, I would imagine Patrick Ewing was when he when he <laughs> came in, but probably right up there with him. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Or something like 2014 comes to mind. Maybe it was their top. I don't know. Whatever. Really, really high, highly ranked prospect. That's a perfect way to put it. They're starting with some real talent now, mm-hmm. this recruiting class. And if this year goes well, that recruiting class is only going to get better and better as Patrick Ewing really defines himself and Georgetown comes back. We had Data O'Neill on our other podcast, Did You Hear, last year. And she said, when Georgetown is good, the Big East is good. When Georgetown is back, Big East basketball is back. And I think they can continue to be an X factor for the conference. Yes. No, I I would agree there. And uh, Muhammad is their biggest recruit to come in since Greg Monroe in 2008. Just looking it up based on. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. Based on 247 uh, rankings. Okay. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. deal. That's the start of the new era there. Definitely. Yeah. All right, let's go to St. John's, the team that Pat and I really, really like talking about. And it's mostly because they just 
annoy the heck out of Villanova every single time <laughs> I play them because of that tempo. So Rasheem Dunn, Vince Cole, and Greg Williams are some of the notable players that left the program. But the most notable player that returned is Julian Champagny. He oh, yeah. Entered the NBA draft. He tested the waters. He decided to come back to the program. And that is such a compliment to head coach Mike Anderson, who is solidifying himself. As one of the best coaches in all of college basketball, I truly think we're there. He's never had a losing season as a head coach. That means at St. John's too, it seems like this team is always under the radar, but this feels like their year when they're going to be on that national stage. You've got Champagny, you've got Pasha Alexander, who's a menace. They were ranked 10th in Ken Palm last year in tempo, Pat. 10th, mm-hmm. 10th in the country. And they're going to use that same formula to, as I said, just annoy the heck out of teams and control the pace of the game, which is what they do best. You are talking to a huge Mike Anderson fan here. So yeah. I I'm completely on board with you. Just look at the one year turnaround from them five and 13 in conference in 2020, 10 and nine in 2021. Um, you know, Posh Alexander, of course, an absolute stud with six in the nation in steals, with just about three per game had a six steal game against Marquette, which is just wild. When you think about that uh, biggies freshman of the year, co-defensive player of the year uh, as well. And then of course, though, when you think of St. John's, everything runs through Julian Champagny leading scorer in the Big East at about 20 points per game coming back for another year. He's the best pure scorer in the entire conference, which of course makes St. John's a weapon. Just having him add in posh Alexander, as well as, you know, some incoming transfers. Cause we know St. John's has basically been transfer you <laughs> for yeah. the last couple of years. They have some, some guys that are coming in that I think can make an impact. Montez Mathis comes in after a career at Rutgers where he averaged eight points per game. Joel Soriano comes in from forward as well, or from Fordham, excuse me, a six eleven forward. Uh, was 10.4 points and 9.2 boards for Fordham uh, a year ago. So definitely some transition as there always is with St. John's, but the two building blocks in Posh and Champagny are still there. St. John's going to be tough. We, as you said, we know about their tempo and how much of an issue that is offensively. They were showed huge improvement again, year over year. I'm, I'm excited for St. John's and I think that they can push some teams and make things very uncomfortable at the top of the big East. I feel the same way. I really do feel like they're in the upper echelon of Big East teams. Champagny was one of three unanimous preseason all Big East first team selections. I think he could give Colin Gillespie a run for his money for Big East player of the year. Oh, he certainly can. down to it. Yeah. He is definitely in that conversation on the preseason level. If he can keep that scoring up, if he can add a a real defensive element to his game. You mentioned all the accolades Posh Alexander Mm -hmm. already has as a freshman. I think St. John's is going to be one of the bids for the NCAA tournament. And I think it, they're going to earn it pretty easily. I, I'm really that high on them. I like how you say that. And so you say you think they're going to earn it easily. I don't know if I go easily, but I want to see them get back in the tournament this year. Yeah. I, I think they have the talent that they can push to get back there. And I, I think this is the year that they, they can make their return. The conference as a whole had a down year in terms of bids next year, but it seems like every team we're talking about this year if Georgetown can make some magic happen, if DePaul can get back to that, not DePaul, I have no idea why I said that. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> you are going I was, I was scrolling past DePaul and my eyes caught it. <laughs> if DePaul can make it into the national tournament, we've got some, some craziness coming. No, I meant Butler. Mm. If Seton Hall can be there, if Xavier can be there, this is going to make the conference really electric. This is going to put the Big East back in that top three to top five conferences in all of basketball. And I think St. John's leads the pack in that category. 
Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing with this conference this year is that I think it's going to be very top heavy for me. It is absolutely Villanova and UConn far and above anyone else. And then I think you've got some competitive guys. I put Xavier and St. John's right below them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other, after that, it gets just super competitive and super jumbled with DePaul at the bottom is kind of how I look at it. So I think there's a chance, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this is going to be a a year where you see a ton of great teams in the conference, but I think as we've detailed a little bit, there's potential for a couple of the couple of these teams, if things go right, if player progression goes along the right route, you could see them make a jump and give the Big East a couple more tournament teams. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think we should end on how many bids they're actually going to be because I have mm-hmm. a couple of interesting points that we'll, we'll, we'll go there. So that is St. John's. They also are coming off of some big marquee conference wins from last year they beat Villanova UConn and Seton Hall so they've got momentum they've got their quarterback they've got their coach they've got their game plan and if they could stick to that game plan they're going to be just such a thorn man Mm. I'm gonna I I just I can't stand playing St. John's (laughs) because they're so good I can't stand it gotta find some consistency though because it is unacceptable to lose to DePaul again like they did last year cannot happen again oh yeah I'm going to talk about that with Providence a little bit too, just mm. the inconsistency. But let's go to UConn first, the one other ranked team Teased in the Big East so Conference. Yeah. yeah, besides Villanova, take it away. Yeah, so listen, this is your, this is the team that is going to competing with Villanova game in and game out to try and win that conference title. Of course, the Connecticut Huskies being back in the Big East, 15 and 8 a year ago, Dan Hurley, of course, the coach, and they are bringing back a lot of key players. RJ Cole, who I think is only going to, play a bigger role with a key departure we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Tyler Polly, as we already talked about with John coming back. Isaiah Whaley, Big East Defensive Player of the Year, of course, is so huge. Tyrese Martin, another year in that system. Of course, you cannot talk about UConn without saying that James Booknight did depart to the NBA as a first-round pick. Uh, There's also a lot of talent, young talent, coming in here with uh, with UConn, number nine recruiting class in the country, three top 60 recruits headlined by Jordan Hawkins, as John Fanta said, from DeMatha, a very familiar place for Villanova fans, another very familiar place for Villanova fans. Uh, Rashul Diggins, another guard, came from Archbishop Wood going to uh, to UConn. So a couple names that, or a couple schools that might ring a bell. The first thing that you look at with this UConn team, they are the anti-Villanova. They are massive. They are gigantic with Tyler Polly, Isaiah Whaley, Tyrese Martin. They are very forward heavy. RJ Cole gives them the ability to shoot from the outside. This is a very scary and a very good UConn team. And I do not want people to underestimate the talent that's there. Me neither. And you didn't even mention Adama Sonogo. Mm-hmm. I'm super high on him. He's great. I think he was also on the, the preseason list. Yeah, he was preseason all big East honorable mention along with yes. Chuck Harris. There you go. From Butler. You mentioned all the points I was going to say. Let's talk specifically about how they're going to replace James Booknight. Or I should rephrase that because you can't <laughs> yes. you can't replicate what Booknight brought from a stats perspective and also just the electricity he brings. He's on Charlotte, and I think that is just the most perfect fit for him ever. It's a You've fun got NBA ball marriage. there, too. You've got all those young guys. Scary Terry. James Booknight fits in perfectly with the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA. UConn did go four and four in his absence last year while he was dealing with some elbow injuries. So they got a taste of what it would be like, but you have to replace his 18.7 points. I believe he was just below Julian Champagny for the top second top scorer in the conference. And it's just everything else you have to as good, as big as their advantage is defensively and height wise, 
you have to figure out who's going to be the score. Is it mm-hmm. going to be RJ Cole? Is, is it going to be a combo of some of those freshmen? Because they've got the defense down. Now they've got to make that guard play as electric as it was last year. No, you're you're definitely right on looking for scoring. I, I'm a big RJ Cole believer. And mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a very big year for RJ Cole. He started off on the Big East second team. I would not be shocked if when this year is said and done, he ends up as a Big East first teamer just with, wow. with, the, with the year I think he's going to have. Jalen Gaffney also comes back thinking about guards, can also shoot it you know decently from deep. Uh, I was talking about their front line. I didn't even mention the biggest one of them all, I believe, in a cook a cook. Uh, th- th- this is a really deep, talented UConn team. We haven't even seen any of those top freshmen play yet, and I'm sure they're going to inject you know energy and talent and, and all that into this team. Uh, UConn absolutely has the has the ability to make a run at Villanova and make things uncomfortable for them at the top of the Big East. Yeah, they lost to Maryland in the first round of the tournament last year, but. I think that was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Mm -hmm. talk about when a team is good, it makes the conference better. That's UConn. That is the epitome of UConn. Dan Hurley has found his identity and it's in the Big East Conference and it's continuing to put forward this type of play. And I think with UConn, we've named the most players and that makes sense because they're their second ranked team (laughs) in the conference. But that's also because all of these guys are going to be contributors on both sides of the court. I mean, we, we went probably eight, nine guys deep (laughs) talking about an embarrassment of riches. That rotation depth is going to be so important for UConn. No, definitely figuring out the rotation as well on how they want to scale those minutes. And and especially Mm -hmm. with all those forwards, listen, you're right. The the big thing is who is going to be big, you know, score. I would even say after RJ Cole, because I can firmly believe that Cole is going to try and step into the shoes of book night. It's who is going to be the supporting shooter basically off of him, but they're a formidable opponent and it it should be a big year in stores. Yeah. And I'm curious to see what their tempo was like. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're going to load up on the big guys. If they get that guy behind Cole, it really has to be a three headed monster too. I don't know if you can be a really, really competitive team deep into the NCAA tournament. If you only have two major scorers, but are they going to load the front court? Are they going to go small ball? I don't think that's ever going to be an option for them. Honestly, they're just too big, but they're going to present some seriously hard matchups for smaller teams. And that's why I think they pose the biggest threat to Villanova. I still believe it's Villanova, a couple notches, UConn, and then a couple notches below them, the Xaviers and the St. John's. But Villanova is going to have to game plan very, very smartly and intelligently against UConn because they can press a lot of the buttons that Villanova fans are worried about. And that's mostly presence around the rim and in the paint. And those big men can just, man, they can play. Mm, Yes, they can. Yeah. All right. So that is, that's UConn. That's the 24th overall team. And we've got one more and we're ending on Providence. Pat and I are huge Ed Cooley fans. Huge. This will be an interesting year for Providence. They were ranked right in the middle of the pack. They were the seventh overall team in the preseason poll. I guess that's actually a little bit closer to the bottom than it is to the top. They lose David Duke, team's leading scorer. Uh, excuse me, he was second on the team in both points and rebounds, similar to Book Knight's role. The big question is how are they going to be able to replace David mm. Duke's production? They also lose some key perimeter players like Greg Gant. But the big story here is the return of Nate Watson for his fifth year Man, Nate Watson is an awesome guy, such a fun player. You've also got A.J. Reeves back, Jared Bynum, Noah Horkler for his fifth year. Al Durham, John mentioned, could be a really high-impact transfer from Indiana. Consistency is the Mm. issue 
with Providence. My parents both went to Providence. My brother went there. This is what they talk about all the time. It is so frustrating to watch Providence play because we never know what type of team they are. They go out last year and they beat Seton Hall, Creighton, Villanova, and UConn. And in the same exact season, they lost to DePaul, Butler, and Xavier, all of the bottom dwellers in the league. Providence only had back-to-back wins three times all season long. So if they can shore up those consistency issues, this team flat out is just going to win more games. That's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, and listen, you, you pretty much nailed all the points. So I, I just say it quick. Of course, you know, everything comes down to find, finding a way to replace the scoring and the impact of David Duke Jr. I mean, 17 points a game, five assists per game is, is, is so hard to replace in college basketball. I know Jared Bynum's going to have a much bigger role. He was only an 11% shooter from three from a year yeah. ago. So he, it's just, it's much different than what they got from Duke. Of course, it's going to come down to Nate Watson, 17 and seven from last year. Absolute stud. AJ Reeves, I expect to also, you know, be kind of that secondary place for scoring. I want to see if Ed Crosswell can make more of an impact kind of in the second, another year in the program. Uh, You know, the transfer from LaSalle, I remember being incredibly impressed by watching him at LaSalle when he played Villanova. Noah Horkler, as you said, just to think about it, he did have a double-double against Villanova when they played a year ago, 10 points and 13 boards. So there's some question marks here with kind of depth and, and being able to replace just all that scoring from Duke. I think you, I think Providence where they were ranked is about right, you know, middle of the pack, because that's, that's kind of how I see that. I mean, Nate Watson has a chance to take over and dominate games and, yeah. and try to win them. And, you know, not too many teams have that type of player. I would say Providence has it in Watson. Um, I'm not sure how much confidence is in the rest of this squad though. If he embodies the role that Providence has set out for him. I also think he could be in the conversation for Big East player of the year. And I want to take a listen to this last quote that we'll give from Big East media day. And he's going to talk about how he actually likes the pressure of being the big man in the conference. The big man of the Big East. How does that role and that expectation factor into your summer and your your thoughts going into preseason? Um, many people think it's a lot of pressure on me, but honestly, I don't think it's a lot of pressure at all. You know, I've been here for you know four years, one of my fifth year, and I'm definitely an experienced player. I'm definitely ready for the challenges that are about to come. Aj, I got I was so impressed when I was talking to Nate Watson because. He really does like it. He Mm -hmm. wants that role. He wants that pressure and he's going to embody it. And another problem for Providence last year and something that Ed Cooley mentioned at the end of the season, he used the word soul searching. The team was was going to have to do some soul searching at the end of their disappointing season. They dropped their last game of the season to DePaul. It's so tough to, to end that way. And it seemed like sometimes the passion wasn't there and the energy wasn't there and They just couldn't get anything going if Nate Watson goes after it every single game. If A.J. Reeves and Jaron Bynum have worked on their shooting so that they can start shooting the lights out, this is a team that I expect to take a huge step forward because we've seen how good they can be at times. Yeah, it's just I, when things like go it. the opposite way when it's so frustrating to watch. Yeah, so it sounds like you're a little more high than than I on I am yeah. on them. I do think they have the potential to you know finish around that say five spot. I think their ceiling is probably four if things go really well for them this year. Um, so I, I I think they can be in the conversation. I'm not sure this is a tournament team, but I think they can push the boundaries of it. I think NIT. 
Okay, I still that's think fair. That's maybe fair. a top seed in the NIT tournament. That's that's kind of my ceiling for them. I like it. Yeah, but I love watching Providence, and they're they're another team that I always get nervous playing because they always present a problem for Villanova. It feels every like. time, every yeah, time for real. It's Low that mid February. It's a mid yeah, exactly. February game every single year. It's <laughs> it's Ed Cooley. It's what he does. He's a great exactly. coach. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Providence overperform because of that. Exactly. So those are the 10 teams. We've broken everything down, all of Villanova's Big East Conference opponents. Man, plus an interview with Fanta. We got you guys a lot of content today. This is, we're (laughs) excited about it. Yeah, we really, we really hope you enjoyed the John Fanta interview. Hopefully our first guest of many, but John Fanta has been on our list for so long. We've been so eager to talk to him and this is the perfect time at the beginning of the season. It certainly is. So before we, we outro here, how many bids does the Big East get in the tournament? I think definitely four, but I lean closer to five than I would three. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, I go four. Okay. I, yeah, I, I think it'll be Nova UConn savior, and I do think St. John's gets it. Okay. And I so then Seton Hall is that bubble team for me. I wouldn't be surprised if Seton mm. Hall gets in, but I'm also very confident in St. John's. So minimum four okay okay all right well listen whatever it is it should be a really exciting year yeah and we'll just talk quickly on uh your outlook on for villanova in the big east what do you think about that oh they should be pretty good i think we'll talk about that a little more on tuesday (laughs) yeah we're not gonna spoil anything we finally oh my gosh this is our last episode before we get into the the real villanova preview we've teased you guys long enough thank you for still bearing with us yes Villanova, I think, is going to keep a stranglehold on the number one spot for the entirety of the season. How about Ooh, that? Look at you coming out there. How about I'm, that? I am excited to, to talk about them, but we will get to that on Tuesday. Yeah. Sweet. And I, I really am. I'm excited about the Big East. I think this is going to be a big bounce back year for the program. We talked about Val Ackerman's comments in our mm-hmm. first episode. She's one of the best commissioners in college sports. The Big East is back. The Big East could be getting even bigger if you listen to that first episode when we talk about expansion. But if we're focusing just on the basketball we're going to see, I think it's going to be really excited and everybody's going to be rewarded for watching it. Yeah, without a doubt. Awesome. Awesome. All right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating as well, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod uh there are plenty of great articles up on vu hoops right now with player previews there's even one if you want to get to know a little bit more about us and then of course the just again the man the myth the legend eugene repay has an awesome article of burning questions for all 11 big east teams on big east coast bias but that'll do it for us we will talk to you again on tuesday nova nation that's a wrap Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.